Our gospel this week comes from the second chapter of the Gospel of Mark. When Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many gathered around, so many gathered around that there was no longer room for them, not even in front of the door. And he was speaking the word to them. Then some people came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him and after having dug through it, let him down on the mat in which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this fellow speak in this way? It's blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And at once Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves and said to him, why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up, take your mat and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. And he stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them, so that they were amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Gospel of our Lord. So here's my question for you. What were their names? Four friends. This is working. I love a good pop quiz, a little Bible trivia. Sunday, what were their names? The four friends that bring this man paralyzed, laying on a mat, carry this friend all the way up to the roof, dig through the roof. Surely their names. Don't worry, it's an unanswerable and rhetorical question. You didn't miss anything. We know nothing. We know that this guy has four friends. Four friends whose faith are so great, faith is so great, uh, whose commitment and love for their friend extends to the point in which they're willing to, I love the verb, dig through the roof. And can you picture this? And maybe you have a roof that's really rotted out and it's a little too close to home, but to physically dig through the, the thrush, whatever was bound, keeping all of the elements out, that's no simple task. It's no easy feat. That's not even the first thing that you think to do when you encounter a crowd full of people. I mean, why do you go to such extreme lengths to carry someone on a mat, paralyzed, unable to walk, up to the roof of a home to dig through the roof and then lower him down? I remember I had a little flannel graph in Sunday school growing up, and we got to, like, put the little guy on the mat, like, on the flannel graph, like he was being lowered down into the house. Anybody grow up with these things? This just me? It was such a weird story. Who digs a hole in the roof and lowers someone in just because they can't get past the front door because the crowd is so great? It's bizarre. Who comes up with that? These four friends, and they all have names, and we don't know their names. Isn't that weird? But I know that the guy on the mat knows their names. He knows all of their names. I'm sure he has stories about them, and they have stories about him. They have stories of their lives together. I mean, to be so deeply connected to another human that you are willing to carry them up onto a roof and dig a hole through it so that he might have a chance at some hope, a new lease on life, just a reminder that he is a human being worthy like everyone else that they see coming and going on their own two feet. 
I mean, to have that kind of friendship and connection, I know that they all knew each other's names. And we have this quick, simple little story of these four friends, and isn't it nice? They're so kind and loving, and they help their friend to encounter Jesus, and he's healed, and he walks, and he leaves. And isn't that great? That is not a simple or quick or subtle story. That is a story of deep friendship. That is a story of true love. As a story of people who are willing to be creative and literally do anything so that someone they care about might know his value and worth, especially in a culture that says, oh, if you can't walk, then something has happened in your life to cause this to be the case. I mean, there's a reason why this whole thing, once the man is lowered into the room, is centered around this concept of sin, because there were people sitting there who thought, oh, well, sorry about your luck, but your parents did something, or you did something, or we've all heard this garbage, right? This thought that for whatever reason, the, the challenge, the circumstance that we find ourselves in is just some sort of divine punishment or plan that has no bearing on the impact that that has on someone's life. I mean, we've been in those moments where people have said, oh, it all happens for a reason. Hmm. I think God is present in all things. I don't think God causes paralysis, childhood cancer, heartbreak, illness, just so maybe something can happen down the road later. I mean, we know that this person is not defined by his condition. We know that he's a person, fully human, fully loved by God as he is. He knows that. His friends know that. His friends know that so much that they're willing to be creative and to carry him up on the roof and dig a hole through the roof. Who digs a hole through a roof? Dig a hole through a roof so that they might lower him down into Jesus' presence. And what is the first thing that Jesus says? All of that stuff... <laughs> that you think has separated you from God, that everyone else has used it as an excuse to separate themselves from you, it is a bunch of garbage. It's wrong. It's just untrue. All of your sins, all those things that push you away from God, they are forgiven. I don't know if he was responding in the moment, saying that that's happening now, that forgiveness is happening now, or reminding him that that forgiveness is a state of being, that we all operate in this state where constantly we have things that weigh on our hearts and in our heads, but also constantly God is reminding us that our things that we do and think that push God away, they are forgiven. They are reconciled. Nothing can change that fact. And the thing that brings him to this point of receiving that message are his friends who have names, who are creative, who have gone to extraordinary lengths to share with him how much they value his being, his presence, his healing, his hope. Mm. We have a lot of people in our lives that do that. And, spoilers, you are that for other people. All of us. Our saints, for people in our midst who we might not recognize or know, but they will tell stories about you later. And those little moments where you were willing to help them experience that reminder that they are worthy, that they are loved, that they are exactly as God means them to be. I tell all sorts of stories about my grandfather. In fact, some people have like a punch card waiting for the grandpa story and the Ohio story on any given sermon. Um, it occurred to me as I was thinking about All Saints, I have a picture of my grandparents up here um, in the middle, uh, that I tell all these stories about my grandfather. I don't tell a lot of stories about my grandmother. Does anybody remember a grandmother story? Does anybody have a grandmother like that? 
whose presence is so consistent and so caring and loving and I don't want to say obscure, but in the background, who's just there, who was always there, who was always there, who just sort of had that way of creating a home that was full of love and inclusion and, and a reminder that you can't mess up at grandma's house and there's bottomless candy. Um, I mean, she was not maybe quite as gregarious or extroverted as my grandfather. Um, she was a music teacher in the public schools. He was like the school principal that liked to schmooze and wine and dine. Um, he was the one that would be on the, the boards and the committees and the church councils and go out and, and do the leadership kind of roles. My grandmother was the one that made all of that work by running a house and putting food on the table, even though she hated to cook. And I remember even though she hated to cook, every time I would go to their house, there would always be grilled cheese and tomato soup for lunch. There would always be a jello casserole for your fruit or veg. Like a mandarin orange and a bunch of marshmallows and like that nice wiggly layer of green jello. Maybe some whipped cream on top just to like make sure it's not too healthy. And in her subtle, understated way, it would just remind people again and again of their worth, their value, their membership in this family that could never be revoked or taken away. Um, I remember my brother, he, I hope he doesn't live stream, I'm sure it's fine, would occasionally get into trouble or scrapes. One of my favorite stories, was not present for this, um, was my grandmother is just standing in our understated ways. My dad, my grandpa, my brother out running around on the, on the farm. They had a um, decent-sized amount of land, and you, know, you could just sort of see forever across the field. And she's standing there at the kitchen window, and she sees my brother running past, running you know, out in the field, full tilt, I mean, as, like, as fast as he can go. And then she sees my grandfather and my dad running as fast as they can behind him, smacking him as hard as they can on his backside. And she just turns to my mother and says, oh, he must have done something bad. Turns out he hit a hornet's nest with a hockey stick. Um, and they were trying to take care of the hornets before they tossed him in the pond. But the, the hornets and the hockey stick and the pond, they're not the best part of that story. The best part of that story is that snide remark, that little observation. That reminder that even though she didn't always have a lot of words to say or the flashiest roles in places, that she was watching and paying attention, loving, reminding you of that love. I mean, we all have people like this in our lives, people who in, in obvious and big and transparent ways and people in very opaque and mysterious and beautiful ways who are saints for us, who care for us. And so often we get caught up in this idea of, of saints being something that's just extraordinary or the, the Mother Teresas of the world. It took her 20 years to become a saint. Um, 20 years for Mother Teresa. Surely none of us have a chance. The reality is, these four friends without names, they are the epitome of the saints in this life who surround us, who go before us, who are around us, who will go to great lengths to dig a hole in a roof so that we might have just a brief moment of reminder that we are loved, included, accepted, that all those things that we do to push others and God away in our lives, that they are forgiven. And if we're honest, part of our struggle is the same struggle of all those gathered together in this room. They look up and say, who's digging a hole in the roof? Who are you to forgive sins? Who are these nameless people who have committed all of these atrocities for the sake of love, who have gone against good order 
or normal things. I mean, we know people who have broken the rules for us so that we might know love. We know people who have pushed the boundaries and exercised immense creativity so that we could be included again when we felt excluded and pushed away. We know saints, and not everybody knows their names. Sometimes they're just four friends or those people who did that thing. And we know, we tell their story. We are reminded again and again of the impact that they have had in our lives, of the impact we have in other people's lives. And then there's this weird little end to our gospel and all the pushback and all the complaining that these saints are doing it the wrong way. They are going to extreme lengths to care for their friend, to help him be reconciled to the community and God, all of these things that are so monumental in this moment. Still, there's grumbling that you've done it in the wrong way. You're not the right kind of saint. You're not the right kind of friend. You have to practice good order and do things in a particular way. And Jesus pushes back and says, oh, I mean, how much more meaningful would it be if he were to get up and walk? It's not even the point of the story. I mean, I think so often we think that the whole thing that these friends were trying to do and in carrying him to the roof, these saints in his life digging a hole, lowering down to Jesus, was trying to somehow make the paralytic on the map more like us, able to walk. That's the goal, right? To be healed, to be fixed. It's not even the point of the story. The point ends, I think, when Jesus says your sins are forgiven. You have been excluded by the community who have felt excluded because of all this junk that people say by God. And let me remind you, your friends, those saints in your life have brought you to this place to be reminded that nothing can separate you from God's grace and love. Your sins are forgiven. That's the end of the story. That was the whole point. He is literally thrust into the middle of a community that has alienated him and separated him and out, yeah, ostracized him, literally kept him out of the conversation. And he's lowered right down into the middle of it. And Jesus says, ah, oh, they are the saints. It is their faith, it is their persistence and creativity that has brought you to this point, this reminder that you are reconciled to God, that you are now firmly in the middle of this community, and there are still people that don't want to believe it. There's still people that want to complain that even in the midst of such extraordinary friendship and love to say, oh, they're doing it in the wrong way. They made a hole on the roof. Look at this. What's wrong with them? And Jesus says, oh, if this isn't going to restore this man to community, if this is not going to be the moment that helps you all see that you have been so wrong in keeping him out and excluded and judged, then why don't you just take your mat and go? Why don't you walk? The walking is almost an afterthought. And he does. And you know, we know, whether we mean it to be this way or not, that if he is able to walk, it will be easier for him to be included. For whatever reason, the extraordinary love and friendship, those saints in his life that have reminded again and again how committed they are, gone to these extraordinary... That was not enough for the community to stop grumbling and complaining and looking for reasons to keep him out. It was then that he stands up and walks that you know, we know, that he'll have an easier go of participating, of being welcomed back into the fold. And for Jesus, it's almost like a, a sad afterthought that this is what it takes, all of this extraordinary friendship, these saints and his life who have brought him to this place, done this incredible thing. You need to see him walk 
to finally experience that God is part of this moment. And the thing that, that I really love and I'm not sure what we do with is that Jesus says, take your mat with you. We've all suffered adversity in our lives. We've all had things that have weighed on us or health challenges that we wish we could just wave a magic wand and fix. Imagine then to have a physical symbol you have laid on this mat your entire life unable to move at the whim of others being carried around to keep it. Would you keep it? I would get rid of that mat as soon as I possibly could. I spent way too much time on this mat. I no longer need this mat. And Jesus says, take up your mat and then go. Never forget that all of those moments where we felt like we were being punished or we were excluded, all of those moments where we felt like our lot in life was unfair or that it could never change, all of those things that, that we have thought in our heads while we are immobile and suffering and feeling ostracized and pushed apart and set aside from everything else, don't forget that. Keep that with you. That's part of your story because it makes all the more extraordinary the work of those saints, those four to us nameless friends who didn't see a mat or a lost cause or a sad situation or someone being punished for something they didn't even know that happened at some point in the past. No, they saw a beautiful and beloved child of God, a human being, worth dignity and care and compassion, someone who was worthy of love and friendship. They were willing to dig a hole through a roof so that they could bring him to someone who might be able to, in words that they were unable to express, say the same things, that your sins are forgiven, that nothing you do will separate you from God's love. I mean, that's the point of the story, this reminder that all of the things that we try to push onto people to keep them away or keep them separate it doesn't work. God again and again reminds us, surrounds us with saints that pull us back into uh, this beautiful moment when we we're able to see that we are included and loved and reconciled. And then he walks, but not without having been changed. I guarantee you he tells the story using the names of those four friends. And I bet those four people also have saints in their lives, grandparents or other friends, uh, chosen family, whoever they might be, who surrounded them and taught them and showed them what love and reconciliation and forgiveness looked like, enabled them to recognize it and practice it themselves. I mean, may we give thanks for all of the people who have been creative and tenacious in their care and their love for us, may we recognize that we are that for other people. There is someone right now to whom you are a saint, and you would never, because you are humble and normal people, label yourself as such. And they might not use those words, but I guarantee you, that as we reflect on our life, as we move forward after all of the changes that life can bring, there are people whom will look back at our relationships and our care and love and inclusion and recognize the beauty and the importance of what we have been able to pass on to others. May we give thanks.
for all of those saints that have gone from before, that we are able to be those four friends for someone in our life. May we see that we are surrounded, that we are blessed and loved by their reminders, their presence, that nothing can separate us from God and one another. Amen.